Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And uh, today with me is Andrew Gazdecki, CEO and co-founder, sorry, founder of, I want to say MicroAcquire, I still didn't get used to Acquire.com, uh, but... <laughs> Candidly, I'm 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 still getting used to it as well. I'll say micro acquire in front of my team, and I'm like, no, acquire that. So Not anymore. Oh no. It'll it'll take a bit for I think everybody to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it says micro acquire behind you, so uh, it spooked me. Yeah, but I'm, um... actually, um, <laughs> I'm I'm getting that redone. Uh, probably next week. The first step is a, just a big sticker, and I'll see how that looks, and then. It's actually okay. painted on my wall, so I gotta. Oh, I gotta figure out what okay. to do with that. I, I thought just... it was like a, I know, plastic or so or something. No, it's it's painted. So it's I was painted. thinking about okay. maybe just carving it out and framing it yeah. for a keepsake. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, I feel like uh, everybody knows you, but uh, I'll do just a very quick intro still. So Andrew is a founder of Acquire.com four-time startup founder with three exits, um, real estate broker for some reason. <laughs> Did yeah. I get that right? <laughs> yeah. You want to, you want to know why that is? <laughs> yeah. I remember it was, uh, because of the, like the weird law that, um, yeah, but I mean, sure. Tell us. Yeah. It could be a fun fact for the audience. <laughs> um, so to collect commissions, uh, when you, uh, are involved in acquisitions, uh, if it's an asset sale, you need to be a registered, uh, real estate salesperson or a business broker and become a business broker. You have to take the real estate. So I'm literally a, a registered real estate agent, um, which allows me to advise and consult startups on things like valuation. And then you work underneath the broker for two years and then you can become a broker. And it's, it's a super antiquated law, but the reason it's in place is um, most businesses that sell typically would be like a restaurant with a physical location and a lease. Oh, yeah. But in terms of SaaS companies and startup companies, mostly remote today, uh, it's kind of funny that we got to do it. Yeah, but it's a, it's a funny uh, thing that, you know, you, you just went and did it like whatever whatever it took to i guess to offer partial acquisitions now so to offer partial acquisitions that's when you enter security uh uh transactions and so that's a whole different okay uh, regulatory you need to a banker or something your co-founder needs to be the sec and finra essentially you need to okay. be a, a broker dealer to facilitate so we don't facilitate um partial acquisitions for that reason Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bumpy ride. So I want to, uh, to focus on acquire.com mostly because, uh, we've heard like your, uh, founding story, the previous two, um, two startups and, uh, I guess acquire.com just was born out of your own pain, right? When, when you were selling your startup and it wasn't a very pleasant experience. So what was so bad? that you decided to, to go and build something uh, on your own? Yeah, good question. I would say, you know, the way I kind of view acquisitions or the way it was viewed 
um, when I sold specifically my first business was there, there just wasn't a lot of information in terms of how to exit your business. And that's arguably the most important part of the, the founder's journey. You know, you're, you're building this asset to hopefully sell it one day. And a lot of founders, I think, are under the impression that Google shows up with this check and they're like, surprise, you got acquired. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it. And there's books on marketing, there's books on fundraising, there's books on, you know, product development, but really not much in terms of the exit. So when it came time for me to sell my business, it was this mysterious process. What is due diligence? What are the legal items? How, to, how do I prepare my startup for an acquisition? How do I properly value the startup? Um, also just finding a buyer. That was a huge right. um, challenge. And I think a lot of uh, founders just face even just that one issue. And so, you know, I, I built Acquire just kind of with all that in mind and thinking that, you know, there needs to be, you know, I looked at the market and I saw, you know, not a lot of innovation, uh, you know, kind of a fragmented market. And just an opportunity to, you know, help founders and help buyers find startups to, to acquire. So it was kind of a right. mix of my personal experience and then also just surveying the, the market as well and just seeing that, you know, we have all these resources for getting your startup discovered, for raising capital, but there's really no platform that, you know, facilitates, you know, the end journey, the acquisition, the exit. And so I thought that would be a really fun business to build because um, I'm also, uh, honestly, kind of a startup nerd, so I wanted to, <laughs> to build something for entrepreneurs and work with startups. So, uh, that's, Just give me that's, something new to build. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's, that's a great, uh, I think, a great starting point. Uh, but you didn't go and build like a directory, right, of uh, like here are all the buyers and here are all the sellers. Uh, you went kind of a step further where like you can – facilitate the whole process on the platform. So uh, why did you think that that was a requirement if, if you wanted to go big? Yeah, I think, so some of the tools that we built for Acquire.com, we built a letter of intent builder, we built a P&L builder, an asset purchase agreement builder, um, and a number of other different tools, integrations with escrow.com, um, we have a number of different tools that uh, we're, we're going to be releasing soon. But the general concept was, you know, there's a lot of sort of, you can get an LOI in 20 different forms. You can get uh, an asset purchase agreement in 20 different forms. And our goal, our, our eventual goal is to really standardize, um, you know, mm -hmm. the legal process. And then also just make it easier for buyers to diligent startups. So, we allow buyers to view real-time financial metrics from startups that list on Acquire by connecting their QuickBooks or connecting their uh, Stripe account or connecting their search traffic. So just really speeding up the process for both the buyer and the seller. Because I'm sure, as you know, buyers are looking at a lot of businesses. And so, you know, the more information we can provide up front, um, the better. And surprisingly, a lot of startups don't have just basic things like a proper P&L or they've never put one together. And so I think just building these tools for founders and also for buyers um, really just helps make the acquisition process more efficient and just streamlines a lot of the tedious items. 
Okay. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And even uh, even now, like a lot of founders don't know when they're researching. And I've done quite a bit of uh, uh, research and analytics of all the uh, private equities and uh, companies acquiring other companies, uh, how people are looking for them. And just like the search um, is just so bizarre. Uh, people are looking for all kinds of things, but never for... Um, for, for what these companies are doing. So they're not asking like how I, I can prepare for due diligence or like what um, what documents should I provide for, for this process to, to streamline it to, I don't know, to, to make it easier for, for both parties. Um, so I think standardizing it uh, is just a great, uh, great way to, to just simplify it for, for all parties. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a lofty goal. Uh, we still we still have a lot of work to do, but um, like as an example, with our letter of intent builder, we've seen definitely over a couple thousand letter of intent sent. Um, obviously, not all accepted, but um, just lots of usage with those tools. And uh, we recently added um, different clauses in the LOI builder for things like seller financing, earnouts conditional holdbacks. And so over time, we'll just continue to improve those tools. And, you know, maybe one day it does become the standard kind of like, we like to think of it as like our version of uh, the Y Combinator safe um, right. investor document, uh, just a document that everyone uses. And if you edit that document, people will kind of go, what? Uh, so uh, that's, that's kind of our thought process is, you know, really standardizing and, um, again, just making things more efficient and easier and faster to sell a business. Right. Kind of like a, this learning vault where you, you, you just go and you, you check all the boxes, like, uh, what you have or don't have, if you're looking for acquisition, that, that would be really, really cool. Uh, yeah. but, <clears throat> and I actually went and registered, um, uh, as a buyer, <laughs> nice. acquired a comp just to see like what's there and like how you do it. And um, I noticed that um, you do not disclose the actual names of the businesses and uh, some other information. So what is the, um, basically like why you're doing that? Why not just be super transparent with it? Yeah, that's a good question. So that was um, built out of just a, a personal experience and, it, the profile kind of works as, as you know, a, a blind profile. So kind of like a teaser of what the yeah. business is. And if you want to request more information of what the business name is, access any sort of due diligence items, view their data room, um, that's when you would subscribe as a buyer and then you'd be uh, vetted by my team. And then you'd be able to access that information if approved by the seller. But um, when I went to sell my uh, first business, uh, uh, business apps, I remember t telling my whole company that my biggest fear was my team finding out that we were selling the business and it falls through because then after that, your whole team is going to be in a constant state of wondering, like, hmm. are you, uh, should, I, should I just quit now? <laughs> like, are you selling the business? Is it and a sinking so ship? It, not necessarily a sinking ship, but it just is not a moment you want to put your team through because it's so emotional. And so 
But I do remember telling my team, we had an all hands meeting. I said, you know, we're getting acquired next Friday. Um, that's our closing date. And I told my team I'd be available for questions. And I just went into uh, a room and let people come in one by one, which is their questions. And they range from, am I, am I becoming a billionaire, a millionaire, or am I getting fired? Like everything in between. And so um, it's, it's private because, you know, when employees and customers find out that you're selling a business, um, I think it, it can be detrimental if, um, you know, that, that information gets out to the wrong people. Right. So by keeping it private, um, I think it gives more security to founders if they have investors or employees or customers that they may not want to know. And then obviously when they have, you know, material offer, they can tell their team or they can tell their team um, even before they're going live in the marketplace. Okay. Okay. Uh, and uh, I guess that's also because you have this subscription model, but you're not uh, really charging any commission on, on any of the deals? That's correct. So the, the current model that we have now, I really just view as like a vetting process for buyers. Cause there's a lot of window shoppers, uh, tire kickers, yeah. quote unquote, uh, it's kind of an industry term. And so, uh, the business model now is, um, we have two tiers, uh, 400 bucks to look at, um, smaller startups, 800 bucks a year to look at larger startups. When I say look at, that means access their private details. Um, we don't currently charge commissions, but we're rolling out our commission plan in Q2. And so we're working towards that. And uh, when I say working towards that, we're not just going to flip on a switch and say, it's more expensive now on acquire.com. So we're right now, um, I don't know when this podcast is, is coming out, but um, a lot of my in days. A couple of weeks. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're building out an account management team, um, M&A advisory team. And so we're going to be having an offering that's kind of like what you would see at a typical brokerage firm, but leveraging, you know, the technology that we built and the marketplace that we built. So I'm super excited about that, but um, no commissions right now. So if you list your startup on Acquire, it's completely free. And then when we do turn on commissions, it'll still be free. And I'll just be for right. startups um, moving forward. So always free for the sellers, but uh, the buyers are going to pay. No, I should correct that. So the commission is going to be charged to the seller. But if you list before we go live with commissions, we won't come back and say, okay. thanks for <laughs> thanks for list, listing for free. Now you got to like, we won't do a, a, a switcheroo, if you will, on that. Okay. You're like grandfather. Uh, yeah, that's the word. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Um, so one more thing, and uh, this is something that I've heard uh, on your other podcast. Um, you were talking about the commission, actually, and how you want to, you are introducing it because you're also introducing more value uh, to to the sellers, right? More uh, data-driven pr process. Um, so what does it mean? Uh, what kind of... Um, things are you going to share? How is it going to change? So basically like what's, what's the value that is now that more important and expensive? Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a great question. So right now when you list on acquire.com, it's, it's really self-serve and it's kind of a, you know, quantity model where 
we we do reject a lot of startups, but we don't spend the necessary time like getting on the phone with them, educating them on, you know, how to handle buyer negotiations, items that every buyer is going to ask you, like, do you have a P&L? Have you filled out a due diligence checklist? Um, how does their listing look? So we're scoring listings in terms of, you know, are you adding these items? Can you connect your metrics? Um, essentially just preparing startups a lot more with a more hands-on method than we are now, and really also being there if they have questions. So if they do receive a letter of intent or they do receive an asset purchase agreement, being available to you know give an opinion on those documents. Um, so that's kind of the general thought process is, you know, we do provide a lot of value now in terms of taking startups live on the marketplace, introducing them to buyers, uh, marketing their startups to other buyers. Um, but we're really adding that that layer of support in terms of, you know, preparation, coaching, and also additional marketing. So um, kind of the short version is, you know, we want to really put startups in the best possible position to get acquired. And there's just so many things that we can do to help. Um, and that's through just basic account management, like a one hour, two hour call, going over your listing, going over your plan. Why do you want to sell? What is your goal? How do we get there? what to expect when you go live. Um, and if we do that right, we'll create a better experience, not just for, for buyers, because startups listed on Acquire will be more prepared. They'll be more responsive. They'll have a better understanding of how to sell their business, how to communicate with buyers. And then for, for startups, it's great because they just increase their chances of being acquired because we're kind of an unveiling, you know, everything that we've learned from successful acquisitions and educating them more hands-on in terms of, you know, this is kind of the quality that, you know, buyers need to see in terms of uh, preparation. And when they reach out to you, be responsive. You're selling your business. Um, you know, there's a quote uh, that I, I, I disagree with, which is um, startups are bought, not sold. And I think that applies to, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the 1% of startups that are growing like crazy. And yeah. then, you know, Google, as in another example, comes knocking. But for most business owners, uh, you have to sell your business. You have to really follow up with buyers. You have to create the proper materials that lets buyers evaluate your business. Um, and so that those are all the items that we're going to be um, rolling out uh, with missions. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Parametrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Right. Selling a business is, is selling. So yeah, I completely agree with you. You, you have to, you have to be out there and you have to kind of 
yeah, sell yourself, make yourself more attract attractive to to the buyer. Uh, and uh, I, I really want to come back to to uh, creating value for the sellers, but I also want to ask about the brokers because I know at least one of the startups that we acquired, SaaS Group, uh, went through um, a broker, right? That that works with you, so. And I remember again from your story that um, being exposed to like a huge pool of brokers, just everyone trying to to get to you to to work with you, was a problem for you. So, what made you kind of still introduce brokers to the platform? Yeah, good question. So we're actually um, going to be deprecating that. Uh program in, in some senses. And the reason we launched it was to learn, to learn okay. basically the inefficiencies of brokering a business, um, things that we could streamline and automate things that we could, uh, utilize software to just, again, uh, increase the efficiency of everything that a broker does, because there's so many manual processes from creating the blind profile to distributing that, to signing NDAs, to, uh, circulating the sim setting up you know buyer calls setting up buyer seller calls um you know all these different like manual things that uh i think could easily be automated um and so that's really why we launched that was to to learn to see firsthand just you know how difficult brokering you know a startup can be and how much time it truly takes and also just how much value a broker really just doesn't add in my opinion I don't think a broker can okay. take a bad business and sell it. You need to have a good business to sell. And a broker really just facilitates, you know, introductions of a buyer, controls the process, ensures that you're ready to go live in terms of, you know, preparation of materials. And those are all things that we can automate. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, I know that it was a great experience. That's, that's why I asked. And, um, Okay, it would be really interesting to to see how you automate this, but uh, let's get back to, to the value for the salaries. And uh, I think uh, it's safe to say you are quite a celebrity. Everyone on LinkedIn <laughs> knows who you are. Everyone just, you know, okay, Andrew posted. So just like everyone rushes to, to comment and to get to, you know, a bit of that um, shadow of the fame um, um, to themselves. And um, you're doing a lot um, for the exposure of the founders that are selling on uh, Acquire.com. Um, why did you de decide that this is going to be something to do? Yeah, um, well, I appreciate the, the compliment. I, I, I think everyone in my family would, would disagree, um, <laughs> but I, I, I appreciate uh, the mention. And in terms of social media, you know, I believe that the, you know, people don't want to hear from brands today. They want to hear from the person who's uh, the founder of the company or, uh, you know, the brand, the founder is the brand ambassador. Um, so in terms of social media, the way I view it is, um, it's a, it's a great outlet for growth. Um, it could definitely, I think some people maybe spend, uh, too much time on there. So, uh, my social media strategy is usually pretty simple. I usually write something when I'm making coffee in the morning. I don't overthink stuff. So no um, AI. 
AI generated content? No, no or not no, yet. <laughs> no, I. So, a, my thoughts on AI, real quick, and then I'll answer your question. Is um, we're going to be looking into that probably in a couple months because um, you always see this wave, and then you see. Uh, I saw this with mobile apps when the iPhone first came out. There's all this uh, kind of like people trying to figure out how to how it's being used, and then the real strong use cases become clear. And I think that's already, you know been made clear. I think this time we're moving a little bit faster, but um, I think in a month uh, we're going to know like what are the real, real use cases. Everyone's kind of, you can do this, you can do this, but I think the real sticking points will come in a, in a month. Um, right. But in terms of um, uh, your original question, you know, I think, you know, today uh, the reason, you know, we celebrate, you know, founders selling their business um, so much at acquire.com is, um, you know, all you really hear about is these billion dollar acquisitions or these hundred million dollar acquisitions, the really, really big ones. Um, but in reality, like 99% of acquisitions are under $50 million, which is a huge number. But unfortunately in, you know, the startup ecosystem environment community, whatever you want to call it, uh, it, they're not really celebrated, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> That was yeah. cute, but that's a, that's a crazy amount of money. And so I like to celebrate even people selling businesses for 25 K or hundred K or, um, all the way up to, you know, um, 10 million, you know, that's, that's incredible. It's an incredible feat. And I think, um, it should be celebrated a lot more because it's also a more realistic view of entrepreneurship in my opinion. Um, and it, it also puts kind of the goals, um, you know, a little, a little more like insight with people where not everyone's going to build a billion dollar business. And I don't think you need that's to build. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. You don't need to, you don't need to build a billion dollar business to be successful. Um, so just celebrating the, you know, the, the quote unquote smaller wins, I think is, um, you know, a really rewarding part of my job. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And, uh, I love the, like this, uh, shifting, trend of sharing the MRR of, I don't know, your, your pet projects or your site hustles, like, oh, we just reached $700 MRR. That's perfect. And everyone's kind of celebrating that. And uh, I think it's a good kind of shift. Like you said, it's more down to earth, more realistic. So uh, it's great that you're doing that. Um, why, why do it yourself? Also something that I was curious about, like, why are you dedicating, like, why do something that doesn't scale at this point? Because microacquire is fairly big already. Like if you were just the, the, like the very early stages of your growth, I would kind of uh, understand it more. But now you're, you're big, you know, everyone recognizes you. Why are you still doing something that doesn't scale? Uh, what part that doesn't scale? The um, podcast, the interviews oh, like, with the founders. Oh, why am I still doing those? Yeah. And why am I? Uh, candidly, I enjoy it. Uh, I, that's probably, you know, again, my favorite part of the job is marketing. It's creating content. It's inspiring and motivating other entrepreneurs. And also those podcasts I do, uh, it's the you know, because you have a product, you have a marketplace and I can log in, I can see all the activity and stuff like that, but 
it gets so much more real when you talk to these founders one-on-one and we talk before we record and then obviously after, but as an example, uh, Monday I talked to a founder in Nigeria who had sold two businesses on acquire.com and had a fantastic new business that he's working on now. And then just yesterday I talked to a founder in India who had bought two, sold two, and just hearing those conversations inspires me. And so I, I love to get on, um, you know, a podcast with them, hear the story. Then I also get, you know, some feedback at the end. what do you like about the product? What can we improve? So it's kind of a, 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 a double hack of productivity in my view, in terms of, um, number one, I get to speak with customers and then two, I get to share their stories and help promote whatever they're building on next or learn more about how their experience was on acquire.com so I can help improve that. And I just like it if I'm just being candid. I, I like doing podcasts like this. I love meeting interesting people. Um, so, okay. yeah, it, it's definitely, you can't scale a human. You know, I can't be uh, right. awake 20, 24 hours a day. <laughs> oh. uh, but luckily, I have a great team and I've, I've delegated, um, you know, most of the, the other items. And so it allows me time to focus on. I guess uh, another way of putting it is, you know, there's, you know, something called like your zone of, of genius and um, your zone of, um, I think the other one's like competence, things that you really love to do and things that you're good at, but you don't really like to do. And you want to delegate all that stuff and just focus on your zone of genius. And so um, one of my favorite parts of building a company is um, the distribution model, um, the marketing strategy, uh, getting the word out of the business. And so that's kind of where I, I like to spend most of my energy. Okay. I think it's a brilliant strategy. The first time I saw that you were doing that, I thought, wow, like it's exposure for you, exposure for them. They're definitely coming back if it's, you know, uh, a good experience uh, on top of that or the podcast on top of the good experience. So, um, kudos. I think it's absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, but I want to ask a few questions about the way you run acquire.com right because it's grown um it's scaling it's 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 changing all the time like uh, you were talking about uh new features uh, and uh, by the way why the new name uh that that's a good question so why why drop micro from yeah micro acquire? uh lots of data so lots and lots of data so we we had always had customers um, asking, like, is my tar- startup too big? Um, and the answer is no. Um, we have buyers like yourself that we work with, you know, that can do seven, eight-figure transactions. And so um, it was always fun fact. I first reached out to the person with Acquire.com, the domain, uh, maybe three years ago. And they wanted um, eight hundred thousand for the domain, and we ended up getting it for two hundred thousand um, with some some crafty uh, negotiations when I was on vacation, which is odd, odd timing. Uh, right. They they just came back out and said, "Hey, we're looking to sell this," and uh, we, we made it happen. But um, I felt you know Acquire.com really would you know send a 
a good um, statement to the market that, you know, we're here to facilitate acquisitions from 10K all the way up to, you know, 100 million. That's our, our goal. Um, and micro can mean a lot of different things to different people. And it can mean small, tiny, little, and those are, those are great. Um, but no one wants a small, tiny, little acquisition. Right. We want to maximize exits. And I think acquire.com really leans into that more and um, really just expands um, the businesses that we can work with rather than just um, small, tiny, little businesses. Okay. All right. So uh, let's get a, a little bit around it, like how you're doing the business, day-to-day -day operations. So, and uh, this is the podcast that we're doing it at, what, 8 a.m. your time? 8.30? Uh, eight, we started at 8 and I was 9. Okay. So <laughs> that's fairly early. Is it uh, your typical day? So what time do you start and how do you motivate yourself to like start the day? Yeah. Do you want me to go through uh, like my whole schedule? I, I can. Yeah, it's, it's pretty you can consistent. Skip a little. <laughs> yeah. So I wake up around um, like 5 a.m. Uh, my son, he wakes up around um, 7 p.m. Uh, hang out with him for a little bit. Then he goes to preschool. Um, then I generally have my first meetings around um, 10 a.m. Um, I make sure to go with go to lunch with my wife every day at uh, noon or 11 or, or one, whenever I have, um, time. Uh, and then, uh, depending on the day, um, there's usually just something that means my attention's well focused there. Um, and then, uh, another non-negotiable is my son comes home, play with him. Uh, I read to him every single night. Uh, so I have kind of a, a balanced, um, life of, uh, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, um, but also running a business. So I make sure to put time and energy um, into all those because they're all, you know, big priorities for me. Right. So no 16-hour sprints. Yeah, I don't do, I, also, I don't do any of the, you know, wake up, meditate, uh, ice bath, um, <laughs> you know, listen to Naval's podcast or something like oh. that. Um I just get up, I drink coffee, I, I get to work. Um, you know, I, I also exercise during the day. Um, uh, just just basic, you know, but then I also try to uh, delegate parts of the business that um, I'm not good at. So just, you know, product, um, operations, um, you know, sales management, customer support. Um, all those items, onboarding startups, um, all those items have been, you know, delegated, which allows me to um, really just help work on the business rather than, you know, working in the business. Okay. So you, you already took like this more of a strategic uh, role. I, I loved, uh, I had the other uh, guest on the podcast and he was saying like, uh, I'm like Enzo Ferrari. So I built the prototype of this great, amazing car then everyone else makes it industrial and just makes sure that, you know, we ship thousands of, uh, of those cars. So is it, is it your role, um, like building this, this big idea of, uh, how you're going to proceed? Yeah, I, I think, um, for me, you know, I like to be very, um, collaborative with my team. Like I'm not the smartest person on my team by far. 
And so I don't have, you know, the answer to every single question, but um, I'm always confident in terms of, you know, uh, when you work together truly as a team and you trust each other, um, you will always find the correct answer. So, you know, doing things as tests to figure out what doesn't work um, is just as valuable as um, doing things that do work and double downing on those things. Um, you know, I always like to say, sometimes you got to get it wrong to get it right because you learn so much. Um, so in terms of, you know, some CEOs kind of say things like, we well, got to set the strategy and the vision. But the reality is, is your, your strategy and your vision will, 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 will slightly, um, deviate from, from plan as you go to market. Um, I think it's very rare for a founder to have the ability to just say, this is the way we're going. And then just that path does not deviate. And I also think it's dangerous because, um, you know, you get at, when you go to market, you get so much feedback from customers, from your team, and you should really listen to those people. And that may mean adjusting, you know, the name of your company. That may mean adjusting, um, you know, the strategy of, you know, a certain, you know, product that you're building, building or something like that. Um, my point here is you're not every founder is Steve Jobs and they can say, I think everyone's going to want this thing that no one's ever seen before. And I don't want to hear anyone's feedback. And, um, you know, so, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I, I like to listen and also be open to being wrong in terms of, you know, my strategy and, um, how, how you lead the company. But, um, I view my role as, um, you know, really trying to make myself the most useless person in the company where, you know, I surround myself with people smarter than me and then I lean on them for advice and guidance. And then at some moments, you know, there is a point where, you know, it is my job to make the hard decision when, because you're constantly working in an environment with limited information, you have to make decisions quickly. Um, so I, I'm, that's probably how I describe my job. And then just motivating people. And then uh, I guess another thing I'd add is, um, you know, it's one thing to, to build something, but I'm, I'm a big believer in the team aspect, like I just said. So I'm architecting the culture and the cadence and expectations from, you know, your team and uh, making it fun and enjoyable place to work, understanding what motivates people, um, not just professionally, but also personally and understanding that people that you work with, you're not going to work with them for the next 40 years. Um, so I like to have open dialogues of, you know, what do you want to get out of working here? And then how can I help you achieve that? Um, so that's, that's also another tidbit. I think, uh, culture trumps strategy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, completely agree with you. I think, uh, and a lot of, a lot of founders also said that, you know, you have to, at some point be absolutely useless if you're doing, uh, things right. So, um, are there any rules? that, you know, that are non-negotiable, um, that you, that, you know, work that keep you afloat and that, yeah, you, you, you can deviate from them maybe from time to time, but actually like they, they are the rules that maybe have been with you over all four startups or something that you like really deeply believe in. Yeah, another good good question. Um, I would say, you know, understanding that you work for your team and not the other way around is, is a big one. 
my job is to make sure my team is happy, they are motivated, and they have everything they need to succeed. You know, okay. I, it, there, there's multiple layers to that onion to pull back on how to get there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, um, I think, you know, some core principles is, you know, hire people smarter than yourself. Um, you know, it really does take a team to win. Um, create a culture that people are proud to be a part of. Um, and then also, you know, inspire people and motivate people um, about the mission that you're on and the problem that you're solving. Because I think in the early days of a startup, um, the, the, you know, the people that are really going to help through the, the good times and the bad times um, are the ones that are, you know, just excited about the work that they're doing. And that's how you get the most out of everybody. I'm a firm believer that everyone kind of has like an extra 20 or 30% of productivity in them. And it's your job um, to unlock it. So, um, you know, hire people smarter than you. Uh, focus heavily on culture. Um, what's another one? Uh, and then, you know, I, I'm a big believer in just working in your zone of genius in terms of, you know, understanding like what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, and delegating the things that don't give you energy and just focus on the things that do give you energy because startups can be a 10-year journey. And if you don't really keep those things in mind, uh, you're going to burn out. Um, so those are just, you know, three off the top of my head. Right. Okay. What about like something, I don't know, don't, don't hire people, um, I don't know when, when, when you're not very sure if, if you need another team member or, um, I don't know, some, something, something like more operational, like maybe some financial rules, like we, we do not spend on Facebook ads or like something like that. Yeah, I can, uh, I can speak to how I think about hiring. So when I, when I look to hire people, I look for, um, motivation, attitude, and skill set in that order. Cause I can't, I can't teach the other two. Right. So again, if you have one bad apple in a group, it can, you know, ruin the bunch. Um, and then in terms of hiring, I always like to say we like to hire when it hurts. And what that means is, um, you know, over hiring can be so destructive for so many businesses. And I think we've seen a lot of that, unfortunately. Um, so we're very thoughtful about each person that we bring on to the business um, and making sure that um, we're not overextending ourselves uh, just for the sake of hiring. Um, in terms of like other rules, um, I'm trying to think, not not really, no. I mean, we have company values and, um, you know, our, our, our culture written out. And that's usually, you know, something I go over with um, every person that joins the company on the first day. Um, and also we screened for that that's pretty much the only thing I'm screening for when I, um, interview someone. Um, but no hard rules. Like, um, you know, I tell my team, you know, ask, ask for forgiveness, not permission. So, you know, go fail, go, go make mistakes, you know, go and then come back. And what'd you learn? Uh, because the more, the, the more you fail, it's just a part of building a business. And the more that you you're willing to fail, and the more that you encourage your team to take these risks, um, it leads to the right direction. Um, like one of the biggest things I hear from, uh, you know, other founders is the importance of speed of execution. And 
it's really important. But, but don't go too fast because you don't want to go in the wrong direction. And then I always say, like, well, to find the, the right direction, you need right. to move really fast. You need to make decisions. You need to iterate. And that's how you find the right direction. You don't just magically whiteboard it out and then go down that way. There. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't work like that. No. You have to, you know, get your hands in the business. You have to, you know, try different things. And some of those things might not work out. So, um Tough, tough question. I'm trying to think of something that I say. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe no, like... I just, you know, I, I've heard so many like, um, don't hire when uh, there is no heavy cash flow coming in. Uh, no meetings whatsoever. Absolutely synchronous work at all times. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of founders are talking about the culture and, and failure um, fast iteration, like only two weeks, I guess, to like to ship a new feature. If it's more than two weeks or like, if it takes more than, uh, two people, then, you know, we're not doing it. Yeah. I, I think those all make sense. Um, it, I guess it just depends on the business and the style of, of leadership. There's so many different, you know, styles of, of leadership within, in startups. And I think we're starting to see more of the the top-down approach, like I need my team to do all this stuff exactly my way because it's the right way. But I'm more yeah. of like, if you think of like a triangle, you know, the leader is on top and everyone's below. I like to think of the triangle, but I'm at the bottom and you know, lifting everybody up. So I don't have hard rules of don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I'm I'm like try it, try it, try it because um, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, "Without data, you're just another person with an opinion." So we're constantly learning. We're constantly iterating. And I think that sort of culture also motivates people too, where, you know, they have the freedom to try new things and not have this, like, just work within this box. Cause, um, you know, I read a book on Elon Musk and this is how he runs his companies. Like I just, I, it's just not me. Right. Okay, cool. It kind of uh, leads me to uh, a couple of uh, last questions. And the first one is something that I always ask. Um, what's the biggest win and the biggest failure or biggest mistake so far? Uh, in my career? or um, Let's stick to acquire.com. Um, so biggest... If I call it acquire.com, I kind of get uh, confused by .com bit. Yeah, I, I like saying <laughs> I, I, I like saying the dot com because it gives some brand uniqueness in terms of, you know, uh people searching on, you know, Google will type acquire dot com instead of just acquire. because um, when you buy a dictionary word, you know, you can buy the word food and then that's your right. company. It's kind of in that vein. Um but acquire acquire is fine. I that's what we call it internally. <laughs> and then okay. I go, I go back and forth. Um, in terms of, um, uh, sorry, re repeat yeah, your question. Yeah, the biggest win. I had a good answer. Okay. Oh yeah. Biggest success and biggest failure. Um, you know, I think, uh, getting the first customer is always kind of like, uh, the biggest win. Um, you know, that was an exciting, exciting moment or just first acquisition, just when it, it starts working. You know, when you have an idea and you put it out in the market and then it starts to work, it's this exhilarating 
like I remember, I know who my first customer was and I know who the first acquisition was. I know exactly where I was when those moments happened. Um, so shout out to Ryan Holmes who, uh, uh, founded Hootsuite. He was the very first customer. Uh, and then, uh, the first startup sold was called, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting the name, um, mail something. I remember where I was when both those events took place and it just really starts to be like, Whoa, this is, this is working, but we've had, you know, many, many other, you know, wins. And I also like to celebrate even the small wins. Like, you know, we, um, you know, shipped, um, updates to, um, our, our chat interface last week, which doesn't sound like the biggest update, but, um, we've already seen messages and creations from that. So I like to, constantly celebrate wins. Um, and then in terms of the biggest failure, um, that's a, that's a tough one. I would say if I had to pin one, we haven't, we luckily haven't had a, had a big failure in terms of, we've been wrong about a lot of different things. Maybe like um, a challenge. Yeah. A challenge. Um, I would say getting founders to understand what their business is worth is probably a, a big challenge. And that's kind of a constant, uh, you know, a tug of war because we, uh, you know, we, we started the business in, um, uh, valuations were, you know, sky high and, um, people were paying crazy prices. So it's really hard to value a startup. Um, we've since built, um, a valuation tool that pulls in data from, other acquisitions that we've seen on the marketplace for, for founders, um, specifically SaaS founders. We're going to open that up to other types of businesses soon, but, um, that's, that's a, always a challenge. Um, uh, helping educating startups on again, the, the preparation, um, you know, really what's required to sell a business. It's not just, create your profile, go live, don't respond to anybody. And then someone's going to give you an offer. You know, you, you got to sell the business. Sit and pray. It's going to help. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of a good one. Like, like, like my previous startups, I had my servers crash. Um, this one time we had, um, a hundred thousand dollar, uh, Google ad spend budget that was resulting in, uh, basically no ROI. So we were basically, we call it the era of um, blowing up a Ferrari every, every month because uh, we didn't, cause, and this leads back to like things that I've corrected in my, in this business was we didn't have, I was in charge of marketing. I didn't know what I was doing. Business was growing fast and it was kind of like, don't touch anything. Um, it, literally we had to uh, refactor the entire platform one time because we built it on um, it just basically spaghetti code. Um, what else? We had so much crazy stuff happen. This is specifically um, business apps, which is a um, no code app builder. Um, oh, we were at, uh, this is a funny one. So we had a engineer um, uh, merge two cells in a database and our whole platform went down for 12 hours. And we were in Florida meeting with um, one of the big uh uh, do it yourself website builders for a potential acquisition conversation. We were going to dinner with them that night. And so me and, um, uh, you know, to my VP of product, um, and COO were just 
pacing around the hotel room, communicating with people back in San Francisco. Like, how do we fix this? And we had to do a full date. This is when, like, uh, when this happens, it was a lot harder to fix. Um, we we got to fix like just in time. We come to the meeting all super nervous because we were assuming they were going through our platform. Um, you know, Before evaluating. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so I've 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 had my fair share of mistakes, but with Acquire, we haven't really had any huge major. Um, you know, I guess I'm probably uh, cursing myself and. Something bad. Well, touch wood. Probably. I have a bamboo here. I, I, would, I would right now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm touching right now. Yeah. No. 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 Um. You know, team's great. No. No bad hires. Um. Uh. No server crashes. Um. Uh. Yeah. That's that's a great question. I need to think about that a little bit more because there's definitely mistakes that we've made. Um. I just can't think of a major one. And I think maybe they're being blinded by some of the big ones I've made in the past. <laughs> well, you know, it, maybe it's good. You know, then, then there were, there were no, uh, unless you're just like trying to block it <laughs> because it was just so, <laughs> so bad, but <clears throat> no, um, it's good that uh, it got you thinking, but I have just, uh, you know, just one more bonus question. This is again, uh, varies from, from founder to founder, but I, I try to ask everyone. Um, everyone's talking about AI, obviously, or um, the Silicon Valley bank lately. Um, so what do you think will be the biggest disappointment of 2023? Will it be AI? Or will it be the financial system and the fact that we have to change something? Oh, that was a, a great question. Um, I think AI has already kind of proven itself to be something to keep an eye on. You know, I even I'm like, I think for the last five years, everyone kind of thought AI was a joke, and but it really all that's happened was this. So. LLM um, has been around for a while and they just put a simple user-friendly interface on it and everyone started using it and it's yeah. been incredible seeing how many use cases. So I don't think AI is going to be a disappointment. I think if you're running any startup and you're not thinking about AI, um, you're, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Um, in terms of the banks, um, Man, that was crazy. I was in uh yeah. I was in a um Cabo for a wedding and that all happened and we weren't at Silicon Valley Bank, but um obviously that put a little damper on, on my vacation. Um uh so I think it, you know, every year's hard for startup founders. It's it's never easy. It's always going to be something. So you mentioned two things, AI could disrupt your business. Silicon Valley Bank and the banking financial system as a whole. You know, we could go into a full-on uh, multi-year recession. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, something else bad might happen. It's it's just part of, you know, being a startup founder, business owner, or really just life in general. Bad stuff happens. And I think the way I, I kind of view those events is just, um, just expect them. You know, the unexpected happens. And, you know, when it does, just take care of it. But don't worry about things you can't control. 
Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I can get the, uh, I'm getting the vibe that you're not a kind of person that, you know, sticks to, to the bad stuff. And, um, that's probably good. That's, uh, I don't know. Um, that's a damage control for, for every founder that, <laughs> that they should have. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, I guess that was, uh, that was my last question. Thank you so much for, for, for an honest opinion and for, telling the whole story of how you're running acquire.com uh, and uh, how it's helping the sellers and the buyers um, to just have an awesome experience uh, with their acquisition. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, uh, c congrats on uh, the acquisition uh, that, that we did together. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, hope, that hope, was. Hope, <laughs> hope, 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 hope to do it again soon. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much and take care. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.